So I hope you come tonight. Please do. Please make time to come for a special, special church service. What Christmas means to me. Now, <clears throat> Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read a few verses. Luke chapter 2. Stand with me. <clears throat> Verse 21, Luke chapter 2, verse 21. Actually, we'll start in verse 25. Just 25 to 30. Luke chapter 2, verse 25 to 30. <clears throat> Stand and let's read together from God's Word, starting in verse 25. <clears throat> And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law. Then took he him up in his arms, and blessed God, and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. We'll stop there. Let's bow in prayer. Father, in these next few moments, I pray that we would look at that baby through the eyes of Simeon and not through the eyes of the media, through the eyes of the, the television and through the eyes even of our own traditions. Lord, may we just take a good look at this baby. Watch for what he will become and what he needs to be in our lives. Thank you that you didn't walk into this world just as a man you could have, but you came in as a baby. And so, Lord, we celebrate that birth, but we need to take a good look at just who we're celebrating. <clears throat> because the world doesn't know, doesn't know anymore what this baby is. So thrill us this morning, teach us, convict us, and Lord, bring change about because of who Jesus is. I pray that there would be hearts who would be humbled and that every Christian would be encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> now, what do you think most people think of the baby in a manger? <clears throat> To a lot of people, and to most people, he's just a plastic or a porcelain doll in a little crib. To others, he's a past relic of an out-of-date religious belief. To some, he is a baby God that never seems to answer any prayers. To still others, he's a fairy tale story of an impossibility. Maybe even an outright lie. He certainly is this baby has become nothing more than a cartoon or a children's story. To some, he is an inconvenience, interrupting and interfering with normal life. Some people go into hyper mode after at the end of November and all of the shops go crazy. And as a matter of fact, I mean, it's still, it's, it, I remember back in, wasn't it in 2004? All the stores were staying open and through midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, four all the way through the hours, and everybody was psyched going in at all hours of the day. But it became, Christmas became and is a source of stress. 
It is even a source of bad memories for many people because of the pain that has, has surrounded Christmas for them. To most people, that baby in a manger definitely is not someone to worry about as shown by what is on TV today. People, people don't worry about who that baby is. No wonder that most people have replaced baby Jesus with a benevolent old man called Santa who just gives them everything they want and they ask for. A UK survey just carried out two weeks ago by a research firm called One Poll over in England discovered that 38% of British, that's, that's between 21 and 28 years old, that's one out of every three, didn't know who that was in a nativity scene. You say, how is that possible? Well, we're talking about England, okay. <clears throat> but fewer than 10% of anybody that they asked, they asked 2,000 people, when they asked, they said, can you name all three gifts that the wise men gave? And only one in 10 could name all three. And what's funny is when they asked and they said, and, and uh, is there anything missing in this nativity scene? Almost everybody said, yeah, Santa Claus. Hmm. Now, the question is not what Jesus means to you or whether you even believe in him, but who he actually is. And we wouldn't know who he was except for the fact that at every step through the Gospels and at every step, Mary's new baby was not only being announced but revealed as someone unlike any other baby ever born. The angels told who he was. Elizabeth knew who Jesus was even before he was born. The shepherds knew and the wise men knew when they came and they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? The scriptures had foretold very clearly back in Isaiah chapter 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, <clears throat> the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth even forever. There should be no doubt about who this Christ child was. And yet 99% of people today really don't know. And I say that with all authority because once you know who that baby Jesus is, you will worship him. You won't tolerate him. You won't use him as a reason to put Christmas sale on the outside of your shop. If you know who Jesus was from birth, it'll change the way you live. Now, by way of background, there in verse 22, I want you to see, 22 down to 25, and when the days of her, Mary's purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. We would say to dedicate him to the Lord. Just like when a child, when, when, when somebody has a new baby, they dedicate that baby to the Lord. Verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Speaking of the firstborn of every family. So they had to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or a pair of two young pigeons. Now, verse 25 is very unique because, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just, was a good man and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. Jump down to verse 36. 
And there's also another person named Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age. That means very old. <laughs> and, she, and, and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayer night and day. And she coming in that instant, she gave thanks likewise in the Lord and spake of Jesus unto all them that looked for redemption in Israel. Joseph and Mary have, but, have just brought baby Jesus into the temple, Jerusalem. He's only 40 days old at this time. And according to Exodus chapter 13, God had told them to bring the, the, the firstborn son of any of your families to be to the temple to dedicate to the Lord. So they traveled eight miles and uh, to dedicate Jesus to the will of God. Now, along with Jesus, they also brought two turtle doves, two gentle, tiny birds. They're tiny when I say they're not, you know, massive, but very gentle birds. And they brought them as a sin offering. Normally, you're supposed to bring a lamb. But if you know anything about trying to buy spring lamb, lambs are very expensive. And, and um, what's wrong? It may be. I shall get rid of it. Um, if you know anything about lambs, they're fairly expensive. So Mary and Joseph didn't have the money, evidently, so they brought a second type of offering, which were these two um, uh, turtle doves. And how funny that, that they were looking, trying to buy a lamb to make as a sin offering for their own sin and um, uh, when they were holding the Lamb of God right in their hands. So it's just kind of cute. So they purchased these two gentlest of birds called turtle doves as allowed by the law of God. Now, while passing through the temple, two people run up to them and just surround them and start pointing out that baby. One of them's name is Simeon, the other one's called Anna. Now, Simeon stops right in front of Mary and Joseph and stares at that little baby. And he's not impressed with Mary, not impressed with Joseph. All he saw was that little baby in her arms. You couldn't have broken Simeon's attention away from that baby. He was mesmerized. And he actually snatches the baby. He took that baby in his own arms. And ladies, you know what it would be feel like if you're holding your baby and some, especially an old guy, comes up and grabs that baby out of your hand. How do you feel? How would you react? But right there in the midst of that crowd, Simeon begins to announce who Jesus is. And he actually talks about eight things that this baby is. And the first thing that he starts off with in verse 26, he says this, It was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen not just a brand new baby. And babies are wonderful. Babies are cute. And when you have a new baby, you go, oh, that's so cute. Oh, he looks just like his mom or he looks just like his dad. You're like, oh, okay, whatever. But here, he's not looking at the baby. He's looking at the Messiah. Now, that's an amazing thing because what does Messiah mean? It's a big deal. This, when he says, this is the Christ, let me just say this. The world has desperately looked to political leaders all throughout history for leadership. They've looked to the very rich. They've looked to the very smart. But there in the form of a baby was the answer. See, he's the anointed one. That's what Messiah means. He means he's specially chosen by God. He's not just some baby. He is the baby. Here is God becoming a man to fulfill everything that's needed to save mankind. He is the anointed one. 
He's the promised one. Hold in your place here in Luke. Go to the right just a few pages to the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1 and verse 41. Starting verse 40. <clears throat> one of the two which heard John speak, John the Baptist speak, and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, Simon Peter, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is, being interpreted, the Christ. We found the promised one. What humanity has so desperately needed, God was provided in the form of a baby. Here was God's promised prophet that he made to Moses. Here, God had promised a final and perfect lamb to Abraham when he asked him to offer his own son. God had promised a son to David that would reign forever on David's throne. God had made a promise to Daniel of a stone cut out of a mountain without hands that would come crashing into the world system and would bring every nation to its knees and would raise up a perfect kingdom. God promised the world someone who could save it. Now, that may mean nothing to you, but it means that that baby would be the answer to all of life's problems. And that's hard to get used to because we're used to trusting a credit card. We're used to trusting the government. We're used to trusting the electricity company. We're used to trusting everything except God's supply. So here's when this elderly man comes and he holds this baby. He says, here's the answer. Here's the anointed one. Here's what God promised throughout history. This is the fulfillment of that promise. Because he not only was the anointed one, the promised one, he's the deliverer. He would deliver from all enemies, from all troubles and all sorrows. Now, he hasn't done it yet. Because those troubles still come. But in the form of a weak baby would be all the strength we would need to get us through them. And one day, that baby's coming back. Not as a baby, is he? But when he comes back, he will right all the wrongs. He will balance all the books. He will take every tear and wipe it away. He's a deliverer. And as I've already said, he's the answer to all of life's problems, to every one of your and my needs. I wish I could take you to Isaiah chapter 35, but for time, I'm just going to say, in Isaiah chapter 35 is the first great description of the coming of the Messiah, that when the Messiah comes, the desert will be turned into streams of water. The lame will leap as a, as a heart, as a deer. The blind shall see. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The, uh, the, 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 the dumb shall speak. And all of these promises were fulfilled when Jesus walked this planet, didn't he? And it was all in that little baby. He was all the promises of God in one small package. You know, as Jesus gave everything that he had, nobody really, they liked what he gave, but Simeon saw more than this, this miracle worker. He saw the answer because he was Emmanuel. Go to Matthew, holding your place here in Luke. Go back to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. In verse 23, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Here was all of God contained in, a, in the small, frail life of a baby. And Simon knew it. 
Now, he's not only, he's not only the Messiah, he's Savior. Go back to Luke chapter 2 in verse 30 and 31. <clears throat> and it's really cool how Simeon says, For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all thy people. Now this baby, for all, for all that a baby, you could think that a baby could do, or all that a baby could, could be, this baby was, was, was salvation itself. He was going to save the world. Salvation can never be found in a temple. It cannot be found in a church. It can't be found in a school or in a prayer or in a belief. It is found in a frail, tiny, helpless-looking baby who was born to save the whole world. That eight-day-old baby was, sorry, eight day, that 40-day-old baby was salvation itself. Go back to uh, verse uh, 10, in, still in chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 and verse 10. And the angel said unto them, to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. In John chapter 1, when Jesus grows up and he's 30 years old, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming. He says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the whole world. That little baby was salvation itself. And, and uh, salvation is something that only Jesus can do. You say, how come I can't do anything? How come God has to do it all? Because it is, it is something no man could ever do. No woman ever could do. What did Jesus do? He actually kept all of God's laws. You may try. You may think that you're doing pretty good. But we fail, and we fail constantly. But this baby was born to actually keep all of God's laws to the letter. He was born to feel and know every sorrow, every pain, every struggle that we experience. You see, God could not just, just wave a magic wand and everything be taken care of. God had to become a man and from birth experience everything we experience and yet stay without sin. Because did you know it's easy to not do wrong when nobody's doing wrong to you? Amen? It's easy to be a good little boy, a good little girl, when the world is going your way. But Jesus, feeling all of those sorrows, experiencing all of those troubles, facing all of those obstacles, still did right, like none of us ever could. He thirdly was born to be a substitute in the place of the guilty. Think about that for a minute. Would you ever ask a baby to die for a man? I know plenty of people who are doing it in Ireland now with abortion. But once that baby's born, I'd like to see somebody ask that baby to take their life. I'd like to see somebody grab a baby out of somebody's hand and says, this baby's going to die for you. You wouldn't allow it. And yet here is Simeon saying, this is salvation. Born to be a substitute, born to die at the hands of sinful men under the wrath of Almighty God, so that anyone by faith amen, could just look to him like a child. I was talking to somebody, I says, you know, it takes a child to believe the gospel. It takes a man to stay stubborn. <laughs> Anybody who can, just like a child, look to Jesus, can believe in his saving power and be born again. That's who that, that, uh, uh, that baby was. He is salvation. 
What's the third thing that Simeon sees in that baby? Look back there in Luke chapter 2 and verse 32. He goes on and he says, This is a light to lighten not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. Just hold there for a moment because we'll get to Israel in a second. This baby is pure light. Now, I know sometimes you see pictures of the, 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 the crib and you see pictures of the nativity and Jesus is radiating and everybody's got a halo on him. Well, he didn't radiate like radiation. Okay. But knowing who he is makes him glorious, makes him brilliant. And he says, this is the light of the world. This baby is pure light. Isaiah chapter 42 says this, Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him and shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break. The smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment to the truth. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he have set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. And then he finishes, he says, and I will give him for a covenant of the people for a light to the Gentiles. Now the truth is we need light and we need lots of it. Because did you know if you constantly sit in darkness, it hurts you. Studies have shown that people who live way up north, up in northern Sweden, northern Finland and Norway, People who live in Iceland and northern Alaska, they battle serious depression simply because of so little daylight. A friend of mine who's a missionary in, in the top of, of, uh, of Alaska, his name's Tim Ungry, his daughters took a picture of, of the sunrise and the sunset <laughs> during winter. The sun rises on, on one, they just look out their, their, their side of their house, and the sun rises at, at one section, and about two handbreadths over, it goes up and then goes down. That's all the sun they get for about two hours. And the rest of the day, they deal with darkness, and they battle depression, and they battle frustration. The health of modern Westerners is collapsing, not because we have poor health problems, health facilities, even though we can't get access to them, but the reason why the health is going so bad is because people are sitting in darkened room in front of just televisions all day and all night. We're not getting any light. See, light has a good effect on us. Let me sit here. You know, you get out in the sun. I don't care if you just get out for an hour. It'll improve your mood. It'll increase your health. It'll allow us to think clearer. It enables us to see where we're headed. Light is good. You know, long ago, ships depended upon a lighthouse. String them along the the coastline of every country. And it didn't matter whether it was uh, storms or a clear night, that lighthouse showed where the danger was. That lighthouse was a sense of, I see the lighthouse, I know where I am, I know where the next lighthouse is. That light gave them hope. Now light is one of the names of the Messiah in the Old Testament, over and over. God would refer to a coming light well, the effect of that baby would reach even to the Gentiles. Go to Matthew. Go back to the left, find Matthew chapter 4. And look at this little baby. Simeon says, this baby's going to be light to the, even as far as the Gentiles. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 12. <clears throat> now, when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee and he 
and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is up by Galilee, which is upon the sea coast in the borders of Zabulon and Naphtali. Naphtalim, those are two tribes up there. So that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zabulon and the land of Naphtalim, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. This was a doorway into the Gentile world. The people which sat in darkness. With Jesus there, they saw great light. And to them which sat in the region of the shadow of death, light is sprung up, speaking of a prophecy that Jesus would go and be with people who lived in darkness. Jesus in John chapter 8 says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. By the way, this thought was very offensive to the Jews. They couldn't, they couldn't accept the fact that light was going to be actually offered to the Gentiles who had no interest in God. It actually caused great battles and arguments, not battles, but but verbal battles between the apostles and then the church in the first century. They struggled with, can Gentiles really be saved? Can people who really don't want God actually turn to God? And the scriptures over and over and over said yes. And I thank God for that. Because you know what that baby meant? That baby is good news for us all the way up here in Hiberia. Because even to the isles, the light of Christ shines even to us dumb Gentiles in Hibernia. I'm so glad that God overrules people's prejudice and limits on God. Amen. You ever think that somebody can't get saved? You are so wrong. You are so wrong. Now, he goes on back there in Luke chapter 2, verse 32. He says another part which just got my attention. He says, he's a light to lighten the Gentiles, and he is the glory of thy people Israel. Now look at verse 33, Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which had spoken of him. He's like, what? This is just a baby. And now he says, this is the glory of God's people, Israel. Now when you think of this baby, I want you to go to the Gospel of John. Uh, I said Gospel of 1 John. Now well, I'll start in Gospel of John to the right, then we'll go to 1 John. I was uh, trying to remember, I thought I had 1 John in there, but the Gospel of John chapter 1, and then we'll go to 1 John. John chapter 1 and verse 14. John 1 and verse 14. <clears throat> and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His what? All right, now Jesus didn't radiate. He didn't have a night light that He just turned on and walked around with. Yet He was glorious. He says, we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Go to chapter 2 and verse 11, still in Gospel of John 2 and 11. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and he manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. 1 John now, almost to the book of Revelation, 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. Listen to how John describes, and he uses that word glory a lot in his epistles, first in, in Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Revelation. But here, chapter 1 of 1 John, verse 1, that which from the beginning, which we have heard, 
which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have even handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and we bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, speaking of Jesus, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. What's he describing? He's saying that person who showed up in our life, we handled him, we watched him, everything about him was glorious and, and, and we got to see it. I think John was amazed just as much as, as anybody would ever be. He was more amazing than the temple that he was walking in. Even though that temple was amazing, the disciples were saying, look how beautiful the temple is. Look how amazingly it is designed and built. And Jesus says, you ain't seen nothing yet till I resurrect. He's more glorious and beautiful and stunning than all the king's palaces that have ever been built in the world. And I've seen some amazing ones. Because he himself is Israel's perfection. It is Israel's splendor, beauty, wonder, brilliance. He is even Israel's success. How can I say that? Because Jesus is the best Jew ever born. Jesus was not a Christian. Jesus was a Jew and is a perfect Jew. As the perfect Jew that none of us could ever be. He showed the love of God. He showed the grace of God. He showed what it meant to perfectly uh, live the law. As a matter of fact, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees one day. He says, you guys tithe of the smallest amount of herbs in your cabinet. And you forgot love and justice and mercy. They're all in that Old Testament that we are like, oh, I'm afraid of the Old Testament. No, the Old Testament, the the, the completion and the perfection of the Old Testament is Jesus. He's the perfect Jew. He's the glory of Israel. He is perfect in wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You ever lack wisdom? You can ask and you can get it because of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. You need righteousness? Jesus is all the righteousness you will ever need. You need cleansing and sanctification. He is your sanctification, and He is, best of all, your redemption, your salvation. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So we can say this, verse 31, that according as it is written, if you're ever going to glory, let Him glory in the Lord, because He's all the good that's in your life. If there is any good in your life, it's because of Jesus. Amen? He is the glory of Israel because he's perfect in everything we need. And you know what? If Israel can make rebellious Israel, if, if Jesus can make a rebellious Israel glorious, what do you think he can do with you? I think about the glory of Israel is Jesus, yes, but did you know the only glory of Christians is Jesus? The best life we could ever know is Jesus. The greatest being we could ever worship is, say it with me, Jesus. The highest calling we could ever accomplish is to do His will. And the greatest knowledge, according to Paul in Philippians chapter 3, he says, the greatest knowledge, the greatest thing I can ever attain is to know Jesus and to love Him and to spend each day in fellowship with Him. Because he is the glory of your life as he was with Israel. What child is this? He's the glory of God's people.
is also a stumbling stone. Back to Luke chapter 2, there in verse 34. And Simeon blessed them. And he said unto Mary, his mother, boy, what a good-looking baby you got. He's going to be mighty. He's going to be wealthy. He's going to be important. No, watch what he says. This child is set. Now, if you think of set, you've got to think of a mason. You've got to think of, of a bricklayer. You've got to think of somebody who is building a structure. And he says, this child is set in a particular place. He is shaped a certain way. Watch. He is set for the fall first and the rising again of many in Israel. He's also set for a sign which shall be spoken against. Just holding there for a second. Here, um, uh, Israel is a people away from God. They had head knowledge. Man, they had so many teachers. They must have had something like YouTube back then. I don't know. Zillion different ideas and opinions all getting coming at, at God's people from every direction. They had rituals and traditions and fancy ceremonies coming out by the wazoo. But they did not know God. Isaiah 45 says this, I am the Lord, there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, I dressed thee, though thou hast not known me. Jeremiah 4 says, For my people are foolish, for they have not known me. They are sottish. That means dull, foolish. They are sottish children, and they have none understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. They did not know God, and they could not know God until they have been humbled. So the purpose of that baby, as precious as he was, was to cause trouble. You ever notice, just mentioning Jesus will get you in trouble? You ever notice that? Just, just, uh, um, just try and, and, and um, you know, talk to somebody about being born again, even at Christmas, and people are like, just... It, 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 he turns everything upside down. Like it or not, Jesus did not come to make everyone's life nicer, better, happier, more prosperous. He came to humble us. He came to trip us. He came to break us. Please go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. Back there, uh, just after Hebrews, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6. 1 Peter 2, 6. First Peter 2, 6. Wherefore also is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief corner. What's the word? Stone, all right? So we're going to focus on that stone for a second, how Jesus is that stone. He's elect. He's chosen. He's precious. He that believeth on him shall not be confounded. You're not going to be confused. You're not going to be hurt. But unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. That's why you're here this morning. That's why a lot of the people aren't here, because he's not precious. But unto you, which believe, he is precious. But unto them, which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, didn't want, the same as made the head of the corner. He's a stone of, verse 8, what's the next word? Stumbling. A rock of offense. Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. That baby in Simeon's arms was a stumbling stone that would cause 
so many people to trip and to fall on their face when they encountered him. Happened to me. You know, you can't get saved until God has tripped you up and made you to feel in trouble, to made you feel like you're not good enough, until he's actually made you realize, uh, until he has embarrassed you. Let me put it that way. You see, if you're in a real Bible-believing church and somebody says, hey, are you saved? And you try to fake it, they'll look at you and go, uh-huh. <laughs> and you say, well, that's embarrassing. Yeah, because we don't want you to go to hell. Just because somebody comes to church doesn't make them saved any more than somebody that goes to the hospital makes them a doctor. You wouldn't trust the guy sitting there in the waiting room to do surgery, would you? And I wouldn't trust everybody who just is in church to be a Christian. So here's this, here's this stumbling stone that is placed in the path of everybody. Isn't it amazing? All over the world, everybody knows that this is a birthday about somebody, whoever it is, maybe some guy named Jesus. And it causes such anger, causes such frustration, causes such contradictions in life on purpose. Jesus is designed to do that. You see, we're way too proud. Every last one of us. The one sin that will keep you, I know we talk about unbelief, but you know what keeps you from believing? Pride. You know what will affect your pride? Tripping. Remember when you were a kid and you tripped? All of a sudden, 500 people were around you laughing. Amen? Remember that? Wow, where were they just five minutes ago? But that brief moment of absolute embarrassment is a little taste of what God has to do before he can save you. He's got to humble you. He's got to bring you back down to zero. Because our pride is our biggest fall. It keeps everybody from getting saved. You know what, if somebody comes up with a reason why, well, I don't believe in God because of this. Well, I don't trust God because of that. You know what that is? It's pride. It's not ignorance. It's pride that says, I don't, wanna, I don't want him to be God. I don't want him to be Lord. I don't want him to be in charge. So God has to embarrass us. God has to get you to where you realize you're in trouble and you're not only you're not only not going the right direction, you are going the wrong direction. You're like a bat out of hell, headed to hell. And if something doesn't happen, you will not be uh, ended up in heaven when you die. You will crack hell wide open when you die. And when you realize that and you're humbled, humiliated, and you look around all the other Christians and says, she's not as good as I am. He's not living as good as I am. And when God trips you up and you realize, I am no good. I'm not worried about anybody else but me on the floor. That's when you can get saved. Amen? That's what that baby does. And he does that so that he can not only cause the fall of so many in Israel, but the rising again. That's the new birth. That stumbling stone first brings us to our knees and crumbles us so that we can be raised up brand new. I think that's an amazing baby, don't you think? What child is this? He's a sign. Go back there to uh, verse 34. He says, Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Now, who would reject a sweet baby? A tiny little baby. Every one of us are attracted to a little baby. But the cuteness of the baby Jesus wears off real quick, amen? 
And people will not like the news that they are in trouble with God and in need of a Savior. Every aspect of the life of Jesus was a sign to people that God was present in keeping His promises. But you know, as Jesus walked around and taught and spoke and, and, and loved and extended mercy, at every turn He did the opposite of what people wanted and what people expected. And he was just amazing to watch. They still said, crucify him. <laughs> Here was a sign of God in their midst, and they rejected it. That baby will be more spoken against of than accepted. Isn't that true? Even in Ireland. you think in Ireland people would speak honorably of the baby Jesus, but not on the radio. I mean, they mock it. Now they're mocking the virgin birth, like I've never heard, they mock everything about God. Let me just tell you this. That's prophesied. Just, oh, Simeon said, this baby, beautiful as he is, saving as he will be, the Messiah that he is, everything about him will be spoken against. How can you do that? How can people do that? Well, Isaiah 53 says, in verse 3, uh, he is despised and rejected of men. He's a man of sorrows. We gave him the sorrows. He's acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He is despised, and we esteemed him not. We valued him not. People will even call for him to be crucified. And that goes to the next verse, verse 35. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul. Talk, talking to Mary, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. You know what child is this? It's a child that will bring pain to you, Mary. What a prophecy. This baby that, that had been such joy that from the moment she was promised, you're going to have a baby, you're going to have the Son of God, Mary said, so be it. Even so, amen, I believe you. I mean, it was awesome. She goes to be with, with Elizabeth, her sister, and her sister's excited, and the baby inside Elizabeth's womb is leaping for joy, John the Baptist leaping. Everything was wonderful. Even though they were returned away from house after house in Bethlehem, it was still joy to have that baby until Simeon said, that baby's going to bring such hurt to you. Mary, you're going to experience the worst thing any mother could ever experience. That'll be the death of your son before your very eyes. It'll be so wrong what happens to your baby in the future, Mary. And there will be no justice to protect him from the people who will turn on him and abandon him and reject him and accuse him of everything falsely. It will cut you like a knife. And Joseph won't be there for you to lean on either. You know, a little bit of what Mary experiences at that cross is what I experienced when I realized I put him there. And he was dying for me when I should die there. See, that little baby is precious as the, 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 the Christ child. Kind of hurts when you think about why he came. He didn't come just to be a sweet little baby in a manger. He came to go through that. What child is this? Lastly, he's a revealer of hearts. Verse 35 ends it. He says, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, Mary. But he will come that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now, most of the time, berries bring, babies bring out berries. Babies bring out the best in people. 
you know, it's, it's, uh, everybody wants to hold a baby. Everybody wants to go up next to a baby. There's nothing threatening about a baby. But this baby is going to expose what is really in people's hearts. You know, I think of only four things that is in your heart this morning. And if Jesus Christ, that baby, could actually be pondered and thought about, your life is demonstrating whether sin is in your heart. You know, Jesus came to do, he came to expose sin. He said, if I had not come and spoken to them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. Amen. Jesus said, I came to expose sin. Another thing that may be in your heart is unbelief. You know, it's easy to be atheistic. It's easy to be agnostic. It's easy to be religious and I actually believe in anything except yourself. Kind of funny. You know what that proves? You're stupid. You haven't looked at the facts. You haven't even thought about what's the big deal of Christmas? Who is this baby? Why all the surrounding uh, activity? What is it about this guy that just upset the whole Middle East and still upsets the Middle East? If you are atheist or agnostic, it proves you have not done enough study, if not even half of what you could do. Find out who Jesus is. Because if you know who he is, you can't escape the fact. A miracle happened. What child is this? He exposes your unbelief. He also exposes apathy. Jesus shows us that people really don't want God. Hand out a gospel tract that says, Happy Christmas. Ah, I'm fine. Happy Christmas. It's like to come to church. It's like to be saved. Would you like the gift of eternal life? You know what that is? Apathy. People don't want God. Don't want forgiveness. And you know what? They don't even want heaven. Everybody who dies, you ever notice them? At the funeral, everybody's putting them up in heaven. Go, 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 going up to heaven. You know what? If you didn't want it, you ain't getting it. Well, there's one other thing that Jesus might reveal in your heart, and that may be worship. Worship. Simeon, I can see Simeon, this old man, he's dancing on Irish jig. And he's holding up that baby, and everybody's looking at him, and he's just saying, this is the revealer of hearts. This is going to expose who we really are, and Jesus does that. See, religion is always a cloak. Religion is, if you just know the list of things you've got to do, you'll do it. If you just know the things you have to say, you'll say it. If you just have the prayers to pray, you'll pray it. But Jesus threw all that out, and he says, follow me. And we go, that's hard. That's hard. What's in your heart? That baby Jesus exposes you for what you are. Believe me, you say, well, nobody knows. One day they will. One day your sin will be exposed. Your unbelief is exposed by how often you come to church, how little you ever read the Bible, how little you ever think about God or ever want anything to do with God. Your apathy is exposed by how little you put out effort to just try and serve God, what's in your heart? It ought to show, on a, especially at Christmas, amen? It ought to show that you love Jesus. 99% of people don't know who that baby really was. Oh, they may know him by name, although it's getting kind of funny. 21 to 28-year-olds, 30% didn't know who it was. That's weird to me. So... What do you do? Nature abhors a vacuum and they fill it up with a different purpose of Christmas. 
They focus on a fairy tale Santa that loves wealthy people a whole lot more than poor people. Amen. Santa's the biggest racist ever. Amen. How come he's only given gifts and lots of them to the rich kids? And the poor kids get a doll or they get a box. When I, got, when I was a kid, a box was better than a gift. Amen. <laughs> Man, you can live in a box and play in the box and color the box. But let me tell you, Santa's the biggest racist of all. And yet the world loves him. What did they replace the baby Jesus with? Selfish greed, guilt buying that pleases Western economies. You know, 50% of all sales for the whole year come in the last three weeks of the year. That's greed, twinkling electric lights and glitter, Christmas trees, expensive presents that never seem to satisfy, drink and drink and more drink. I think our world needs to discover what child this is. This one and a half month year old child, one and a half month old child, was everything you could ever hope for. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the promised one. He's salvation himself. You see, church is not salvation. A prayer is not salvation. He that hath the Son has life. He's light. You go through a dark valley, you need Jesus Christ. You go through an, a, a time in your life where everything's wrong, you need to hold on to him, he'll be your light. He's the glory of Israel. And Israel had some massive, awesome times under David, under Solomon, the lawgiver Moses, but they were dark compared to the brightness of the life of Jesus. He's a precious stone that first humbles and breaks as we stumble over him. And then he's precious because we get born again. He is a sign that is just rejected. I remember when I got saved and, and I started, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I started, we had Walkman back then. I know you guys don't have any idea what a Walkman is, except unless you're 35 years or 40 years old and over, over maybe 50 years old or over, I don't know. But I had a Walkman and I remember getting rid of all of my cassette tapes and I got rid of all of my records. I heard a preacher preached against rock music and against worldly music. And I remember burning my records, breaking them. There were a lot of them that didn't break. They were indestructible, so I had to burn them. And I, I bought and I recorded Christian music. And I went to school with Christian music in my Walkman. And I said, hey, listen to this. And everybody went, blah. <laughs> I loved it. I was, my heart had been chained, changed. What used to be scratching on the blackboard which was Christian music to me before, hymns and, and gospel songs, now was the music of heaven, and it was rejected. I never prophesied that it would be that way. It was a sorrow, not only to Mary, but to anyone who discovers what that baby had to go through just because he loved us. And he's a revealer of you in my heart. These facts about this baby enabled Simeon to die in peace. He says, now can I die in peace? I have waited, and you told me what happened. I got to see your salvation. What will you do with it? You want to live long? You want to have joy? You want to have hope? You want to live where you have so little regrets at the end? You know what you need to do? Accept that baby who grew up and became the Savior of the world. Accept him as your Savior. Get to know him. I can't encourage it enough. You're coming up to the new year. You may not have finished reading your Bible through in the year. Start again. 
Get to know the author of this book by reading this book. Get to know Jesus and then worship him. As we come to Christmas, grab your kids. Don't circle around the Christmas tree. Circle around the Bible. Get on your knees and say, Lord, you have humbled us. As a family, you've brought us to our knees, and we're no good. We're not right. We're, we're a mess, but we worship you, and we trust you, and we love you, and we thank you for coming into this world to save us. That's the center point of Christmas that makes everything else worth it. Stand with me. Bow in prayer, please. If we would be honest, Father, the way the world handles Christmas hurts. It's not really fun. Too much stress. So imbalanced. A lot of debt. A lot of unhappiness. A lot of drink. I think people miss the baby. I think it would be awful for Christians to have actually been so influenced by the world that we forget what child this is and how beneficial it would be for our families to make sure he's the center point of everything in our home. There's some people who are going to celebrate Christmas, but they've never celebrated Christ. Right now, I ask that if there's anybody in this room who's not been born again, you may have been baptized as a baby, you may have been baptized as an adult 15 times, doesn't matter at all. Have you been born again? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you, God offers you the gift of eternal life right now. If you will but believe that Jesus died for you and was buried and rose again for you, he came for you. And he needs you to want him. He needs you to respond. He needs you to say, here am I, save me. Will you do that this morning? You're a Christian. If he has saved you, wouldn't it show? Has Jesus revealed what's really in your heart and you ought to be ashamed and say, all the wrong things are being exposed and I'm sorry. Oh, let that, that moment of Christ's birth that so thrilled Simeon thrill me once again. And may it pass down to my children. May we never, may we not have another generation grow up without the real, real point of Christmas so that their children and their children's children still celebrate Jesus. So, Lord, we ask you to just bless this message to our homes in Jesus' name. Amen.